Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on TheBigScreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theaters, and we are pleased to be back with you once again for our 11th episode of the podcast. I'm Joel Hoover. I am, uh, I can't remember. You can't remember. The eclipse has just played with my brain. Oh my, we're recording this on Eclipse Day, which might give you some idea as to when we record our episodes, but it's Eclipse Day. I've got my little viewfinder box next to me here, although it's Made out of what? What did you make it out of? I made it out of a cereal box. I went to the classic make it out of a cereal box with aluminum foil. I've never heard of I never heard of Mocha Crunch before. Yeah, that's a new one. That one's a limited edition. I never heard cereal. of Mocha Crunch it's before. <laughs> it's pretty delicious. I found it the other day at one of the uh, the markets here in town, and I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to give this a try and see how it is, and it ended up being quite good. So good man. now I've got the cereal box left over. It was a fairly bigger box, so I was like, hey, I think I'll go with this and make myself an Eclipse box. That, that, that's, that's what I did, too, when I bought that extra-large box of sugar-crusted bombs. Ah, so you're like Calvin then from Calvin and Hobbes. Pretty much, okay. pretty much. Yeah, but then chocolate I fu- frosted sugar bombs. Funny enough, though, it came with the Eclipse glasses inside, so I'm good to go. Wow. <laughs> now that it matters because it's a little overcast. Now, but didn't still be that nice. work out great? Yeah, well, well, we'll end up seeing. I mean, people, when they listen to this episode, it's going to be after the fact. So, I, I mean, by then, they would have known how good the Eclipse was or not. So. And depending on how long it takes for this episode to get put online, it may be way after the fact. So we'll see. Who knows? But uh, it, we're glad to be back with you once again. And as I said, we are sponsored by the Bemidji Theaters, and it's great to have them on board as the sponsor of the Rick and Nick Talk Flicks podcast. It's a great place to go and check out the movies, even as the summer is winding down here great to get to stop in at the Bemidji Theaters and get to see what is currently in. And a couple of great things coming into the fall. We've been talking a lot about summer box office. Uh, that's pretty well done. Uh, the biggest box office hits have come already. It looks yeah, like things Wonder have Woman's slowed down, rule it looks the, like. Yeah, Wonder Woman's going to come her way as number one of the summer. Uh, but a couple of great movies yet to come for the fall, uh, particularly late fall. you got Justice League and Star Wars and will Wonder Woman hang on to the number one spot of the year so far. Could be interesting. I think it's it's going to be tough to do because Justice League is on the way. Yeah. The next Star Wars movie, which does not have a second trailer yet, Dave. Have you noticed that? It has been a long time. I forget the day, but there's a day in September that's like Star Wars Day. It's like a marketing day. It's when all the new toys come Another into the stores. One. Yeah, they do it every year now. And uh, I think that's what they're talking about when the trailer will be. So I, you're going to get a barrage here once we really turn the corner into fall. And then they're going to start really putting the marketing into full I thought stream. we were going to get something out of Comic-Con from from them about Star Wars, but we didn't get much except just Buzz. Just the it. game trailer for Battlefront 2. That's, so that's right. That, that's about yep. it. But that looks cool, too. We've got some news items for you today, and uh, two news items. And then we'll get into our main topic of the day, which is going to be a recurring topic that will come up every now and then. We are going to go back and revisit this idea, and it's something that, If you're listening, maybe it gets your gears grinding a little bit in the mind of, you know, maybe 
I could think of something along these lines. But before we get to that, two news items for the day. And the first one, Dave, involves Star Wars. And this is one that you and I have a lot of interest in. And I'm sure a lot of people out there have been keeping an eye on this as well. Yeah, we're talking about uh, some of the in-between Star Wars movies. We had Rogue One come out last year. They're working on the young Han Solo movie right now. So once that Han Solo movie comes out, then they'll have Episode Nine after that. And then where do we go from there? Well, they're starting to map things out and think about things. And what the rumor is is that it's going to be a young Obi-Wan, and that looks to be picking up some momentum. So brings up a lot of questions. Ewan McGregor, will he be coming back? What time period of Obi-Wan's life will it be? And are we going to take a look at every major character in Star Wars and give them a backstory like Han Solo? or Like I even said, we're starting to hear tiny rumors that maybe they'll do a young Jabba the Hutt. Uh, whether that's true or not, I, I have no idea. Both I don't know how you up. could do a young Jabba the Hutt movie. I don't, you know, maybe... And attract interest to it. Yeah, I mean, who cares about that worm, you know? Yeah. Now, I know that it, it sounds a little bit concerning when it, it looks like, oh, it's just going to be young character backstory stuff, is, is how it seems initially. Here's Here's the one school of thought that comes with that, though. Rogue One was, I think, for some, a surprise. They They wanted to see... Could a standalone Star Wars movie that has almost no connection to the other movies as far as characters be able to make it? Because you have this group of characters who you're never going to see again, with the exceptions being Mon Mothma and then also uh, Bail Organa make Not to mention appearances. that Vader guy. And Darth Vader, of course, with the little Maybe cameos We should got. probably mention earlier before we get into and it. And Grandma Tarkin. We do talk spoilers in this show, so just a heads up. So yes. if you don't want to know, you might find out unwillingly. So heads up now. Spoilers ahead. I certainly hope you know if you've listened to the podcast a time or two. But yes, if you're fairly new, we've got a couple of them in there. So with that being said, Rogue One worked as far as could they go into a story that had a had a bit of a connection to the bigger story, and it worked without major characters, with the exception of a couple cameos from those major characters who I just mentioned. I can understand why they would want to do stories based off of other characters within the Star Wars universe, because you already have that knowledge base of understanding, and there stands a better chance of drawing big interest at the box office. I mean, Rogue One did great. I think some who had those skeptic those, those doubts and skepticism regarding it because it didn't have those kinds of characters i think were pleasantly surprised at a how good the movie was and then b how well it did yeah. at the box office so now i guess the school of thought with with lucasfilm is let's go into other characters who are part of the star wars mythos and let's dive a little bit deeper into their story although you hope it doesn't all become young this young that young this young that if it is Obi-Wan in maybe his hermit years, it opens up a lot of possibilities of, well, what did he do at that time? And Ewan McGregor, maybe we can get him back into the mix. And you and I both agree he was one of the most redeeming qualities of yeah. the most recent George Lucas trilogy was Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan. I mean, he even went so deep as to mimic hand gestures and mannerisms like Sir Alec Guinness because he wanted to bridge the characters in that way. I thought that was really fascinating. If if you go into some of the uh, behind-the-scenes stuff of, of Revenge of the Sith, I thought that was one of the most interesting things from that movie was the way he tried to bridge his Obi-Wan and Alec Guinness's Obi-Wan. So if he's coming back as Obi-Wan, 
if they're planning to do it along those lines, I think that'd be great. He said he's open to it, and he did a voice cameo as young Obi-Wan in The Force Awakens. So I think if they gave him the call, he would be on board. I don't think it's a question. My only concern is I'm not a big fan of prequels. You know, you can take a look at Star Wars, and you could say right now we're batting one for four when it comes to prequels. And the original prequels, eh, Revenge of the Sith, I liked. That was was very good and dark. Rogue One was fantastic. But the catch was, you know, if you're going to do a young Obi-Wan story, all right. So we go back, we do a young Obi-Wan story. If Obi-Wan is hanging off the edge of a cliff and we're all on the edge of our seats, how could you be on the edge of your seat? Because you know he's going to live. Correct. You know what his ultimate fate is. And that was kind of the thing with the prequel trilogies, not the fact that at points it devolved into like watching intergalactic C-SPAN, watching galactic debate. It was a lot of characters that you know they're going to find a way out of this because you know what ultimately is going to happen with them. With Rogue One... These are mostly characters you'd never seen before. You'd never seen them chronologically afterward. So what happens? Are they going to make it out when most of them don't? So, okay, you got to get it invested in these characters, whether they'll show up or maybe they could show up in between a later movie. It depends on how you present it. So clearly Rogue One is an example of how you can do a good prequel, and the, the prequel movies before that, eh, not so much. So I'm, I'm optimistic. Right now Star Wars seems to be going the right direction. So I'm, I'll give him a pass and be optimistic. Plus, Obi-Wan Kenobi is one of the most popular characters in the Star Wars oh, yeah. saga. And a, a character who has such a, a big part in it from start to finish. He's, he's part of these movies and part of this story. So it's cool that at least the idea is in play that there would be his own movie. Where it goes yet to be seen. Hey, so, there's rumors that he could show up in the sequel trilogy they're doing because really? he can show up in the Force. Yes. And theoretically, he could show up as whatever form he'd like. At some points in the original trilogy, he showed up as old Obi-Wan. Why couldn't he show up as young Obi-Wan? How come Anakin, when he shows up in Return of the Jedi, well, depending on what version of Return of the Jedi you're talking about, he was old man or young Anakin from the prequel trilogy. Correct. Why couldn't he show up as whatever form he'd want? Sure. Why not? Maybe we'll keep that in play for the future as well, too. So we'll we'll wait and see. But the Obi-Wan Kenobi movie sounds rumored. like it's in the works. It is rumored. But, but that's it's picking pretty, up steam. It is a pretty good idea, though, and it, it'd be cool to see that happen. The other bit of big news from this past week in the movie world, Daniel Craig is back. Bond 25 is going to have Daniel Craig as James Bond, even after all he said at the end of Spectre of... What he I'd would rather, rather be die doing. than play this role again. Uh. Yeah, he uh, he had some pretty strong imagery of just what he'd rather be doing as opposed to being James Bond again. Naturally, kind of tired at the end of those movies. Plus, if you throw the kind of money at him that it looks like he is going to be getting for Bond twenty five, how could you say no to coming uh, back as another turn for uh, Bond? Plus, the best James Bond since yeah. Ro- uh, since uh, Sean Connery, in in my opinion, Roger Moore comes in third in my book uh best bond since sean connery they're 1a and 1b for me basically connery and and craig in whatever order you want i don't really care but very excited that he's going to be coming back 2019 is when this next bond movie is slated for so daniel craig will make a fifth appearance and i could not be happier dave and apparently final appearance when he gave the announcement he said i'm gonna do it one more and so that's the word the reason i think a lot of the oh, i'd rather die than play bond again it was a negotiation through the press tactic. You know, if he starts saying, I don't want to do it, they want him back, they'll start pushing a little harder. Oh, we'll push up the money. We'll push right. up this. And it looks like he got what he wanted, so they're back for one more, which means in a couple years, 
uh, if Rick and Nick ever stop watching this eclipse today and come in and do the show, we could have another debate as to who would be a good Bond follow-up yes. to, to succeed Daniel Craig. Well, I'm sure that people are already thinking along those lines even now. Like, they're thinking, yeah. okay, 2019 is when the movie comes out. Once that's done, who are we going to look at and say, this guy is ready to take on the Bond mantle and will still be pretty relevant at that time? But who knows who might pop up in in that span of time or who might sort of fade away remember when tom hiddleston's name was floated around so much especially after he did the night manager and people were saying hey he might be the next bond things have gone pretty quiet on him remember when people were talking about idris elba as maybe being the next bond things have gone pretty quiet there on that front i mean obviously daniel craig being the guy for one more movie sort of does that but Who's still going to be pretty relevant age-wise as well as appeal-wise come 2019 is going to be a very big question and beyond because it'll be a couple more years after that. Well, depending on which Bond you're talking about, they've either been fairly well-known or not so well-known. Sean Connery was next to not known when he became Bond in 1962. It's not like he'd never done anything, but he wasn't not anywhere near a household name. But then you get the Pierce Brosnans and the Timothy Daltons. People knew who they were to an extent, or Pierce Brosnan, rather. Timothy Dalton, and if you followed Shakespeare, you'd see him in a lot of shows on stage. And he'd done some work, of course, on the big screen, but he wasn't a name, really, until James Bond. Pierce Brosnan, everyone knew him from Remington Steel. Everyone knew Roger Moore from The Saint. Um, but then you get guys like Daniel Craig. He was a good character actor, but hadn't really made a huge, huge role. And everyone was thinking there was a lot of backlash, if you remember, when they signed Daniel Craig. Yes. Bond is not blonde. Correct. I think all that has been shut up now. Yeah, because they've brought out some of the best movies of the Bond series and have revitalized it in such a huge way. And with with its success at the box office, I mean, it, it's not surprising that they would go back and even with all the money that is going to have to go into keeping Daniel Craig as James Bond. He has revitalized the series in such a huge way, and the character as well. And he's arguably put more into the Bond character as far as physical stunts and as far as emotional backdrop than anybody who's played the part before. So as far as I was concerned... He could play Bond as long as he wants. He really made Bond his own. You know, Sean Connery started a mold that in some ways was followed by a lot of people or was expected to be followed by a lot of people. Uh, Probably the biggest deviation was uh, was, uh, Roger Moore, who played it a little more tongue-in-cheek. Which wasn't my favorite but no. i know but my parents they talk to me we debate this all the time and they're like you got to be kidding me roger think, moore was the best i think at some point we will probably do a james bond episode of we the will. show um but i will play one real quick devil's advocate so in a couple years we're going to be having this debate for real who just give me a name do you think would be a good successor to daniel craig off the top of my head off the top of your head you i have to think it through i do think tom hiddleston would be a pretty good choice yeah, I could see that. I brought up another Tom Hardy I think would do a good replacement. If you want to follow a thug that's more you know, cleaned up and polished and hosed off, he's a thug that can be sophisticated, but he knows how to hurt you. That's taking it maybe further down that line yeah. than Daniel Craig because Daniel Craig still has that – it's that uh, that tough, smooth guy appeal that he's got. But Tom Hardy seems to almost take it to another extreme yeah where the, a little bit further down the line where the brosnans and more were more sophisticated guys yeah that could be tough of course wearing bell bottoms yeah. in yeah case they could they could be tough 
Um, but they were more sophisticated. You could believe they'd walk into any hotel lobby in the world and get their drink exactly the way they wanted it. But Sean Connery and, uh, to a lesser extent, George Lazenby and uh, especially Daniel Craig, they were tough, roguish, thug types. They were hosed off, shown how to wear a tux. Literally the story of how Sean Connery became James Bond in a lot of ways and let loose. So <laughs> what kind of direction will they take after Daniel Craig? Could be interesting. They've got... A lot of options when it comes to that, and they can they can do what they will with it. But we'll get into that. Debate we'll talk about it as we go in the future. All right, let's get into our topic for the day. But before we do, we want to remind you that Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theaters, and we're very happy to have them as the sponsor of the pod. All right, Dave, let's get into our topic, which again is going to be a recurring one for the podcast in the future. We're not entirely sure yet how often we'll do this. If we like it, maybe we'll revisit it in the near future. If the masses clamor for another one here pretty soon, or maybe they come up with ideas on what would you do differently with this or that, or what would we do uh, differently, maybe we'll bring it back here in the near future. But we want to talk, if I could fix blank, that's kind of the general premise. If I could fix blank... What would I do? Paging Bob Vila. Bob Vila, you are required to dial 12. Would you like to explain that? You don't know who Bob Vila is? Not off the top of my head. Bob Vila was, is a synonymous for handyman. He's Mr. Fix-It. Ah, he, used to okay. ho- he used to be the original host of This Old House. Uh, if you ever saw the show uh, Home Improvement, he oh. was kind of the nemesis of Tim Taylor because he was also like a Bob <laughs> Vila type. So every time okay. Bob Vila would show up and do it right... That's who Bob Vila was. I was a bit young at the time of Home Improvement, which true, is kind of a bummer true. because I've heard so much about that show. Good show. Yeah. But uh, that's who Bob Vila was. So if, okay. you, if you need a handyman, that's kind of a punchline. Uh, we need Bob Vila. So it basically boils down to fix it. If you could fix whatever, yes. what suggestions could you have? If I could fix, dot, 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 and then we go from there. So we're going to take it with a movie angle. So. Whether it's fixing a movie by completely removing it. Now, we're not going to do that with every single one that we bring up today. Or maybe condensing movies. Or do I recast somebody? Or do I cut this scene? Would I add this element? Maybe completely change the genre of the movie. What would we do to fix this or that that has happened from the past? It's a general topic, but there are so many different things that we can come up. You had seven ideas, Dave, but you're only going to share three today. I'll share a couple, but the first one I figured maybe we'll just keep going. We were talking Star Wars earlier, so this one is way I'll stick with. There's also one other caveat. We've got different ranges of big fixes. There's yes. small fixes, like little tweaks, and then big fixes that we came up with, too. So. Yeah. Some things are Go real ahead. real quick, like this one movie I saw was really good, but it could have been great. What one thing could they have done to make a good movie a great movie? You know, that's a way you can do it. And then there's some things you just got to completely break things down. Like, how right. would you fix uh, Macaulay Culkin's career? I mean, that's a big, that's not a spackle job. That's oh, big. boy. That's big. So that's not one of my questions. Um, but let's stick with Star Wars real quick. We were talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi. So here's my first fix it. The original trilogy, okay? You don't just stick with what was initially made. You kind of have whatever's going to live on the shelf forever and a day. So what's on DVD? There are multiple versions of the original trilogy, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, and New Hope. Which version should live? How, what should they do on DVD? With all the, the CGI special With all the special editions, with all this stuff. And there's not just one special edition. Every time they re-release the special edition, there's more special edition Correct. to it. So what do you release to be the definitive now that George Lucas has his hands off of it? And Disney, 
Well, actually, that runs into a complication because as of right now, 20th Century Fox owns the rights to the original and the prequel trilogy because that's what it came through. At some point, I forget what year it is, those rights are going to revert to Disney. So at some point, the the rights will be available for Disney to release the original and prequel trilogy. Um, but right now, it's 20th Century Fox. So if rights weren't an issue and we were going to release the original trilogy and everything that has come so far on Blu-ray, DVD, video on demand, whatever, how would you present the original trilogy with all the different options of, of how you could present it? Original as it was back in 1977 or 1980 or 1983 when they were released. Um, would you do something different with the prequel trilogy? How would you release it? But for the sake of this argument, stick to the original trilogy. Stick to the original. Stick to the original. I've got some ideas. How it but was I, made. I've got ideas, but I want to hear what you're thinking. I. That's tough because I think the additions that they made are are good here and there, but I would have, I would keep it as it was when it was first released. I I don't, I don't think there's too much to change otherwise. Maybe the one exception is the Han Solo Greedo moment because. Because it's such a iconic moment and controversial moment, I would maybe adjust that. But otherwise, otherwise, I'd go with how it was, okay. with how it was released. I don't know. What would you say? I would come up. This is my plan. I would come up with the definitive version, and it's not just one version because you're not going to please everybody. You can't. So if you make one version, you just just please everybody. Everyone's going to have something wrong with it. So I come up with an idea for, it's called a triple release. You come out with, each movie gets a triple disc set. So you have the one version, which is exactly as it was released when it first hit theaters in whatever year. That means the original Star Wars 1977 does not have episode four, does not have a new hope. Everything as, as it was. You take the original print, you clean it up. Maybe you you you, you, re- you restore everything, the picture, the sound, everything, but you leave it as it was. You do not put any tweaks, no bells, no whistles, nothing. Everything as Basically it was. Basically my idea. Of so what you, I was that's saying. version yeah. one. Version two, there's the controversy about, well, this is what George Lucas intended. He wanted the Ewoks to blink. He wanted Darth to yell, no, as he, before he chucks the Emperor down the shaft. No, that's not my personal favorite. But you gotta honor the creator of it. So as right. much as some people aren't thrilled with it, all right, that's version two. So the most recent version we've seen on Blu-ray is what you're gonna get. Then you have what's called the Forces With Us edition, where you have kind of a hybrid of what was originally done and some things that were mixed in. For example, the whole Greedo shooting first before Han, new. No, it destroys the introduction of Han Solo as what kind of character he is. Shoot first, ask questions later. Exactly. Yeah. He knew he was in trouble. He knew he was about to get shot, so he shot first. Greedo never had a chance to get a shot off. That's all been changed in these subsequent releases. I would leave that as it was. But say the dogfight sequence over the Death Star at the end of the original, they redid pretty much all the special effects before they got into the trench. The trench, they really didn't change too much of the footage, but all the stuff overhead, they could have those ships bank and twist a whole lot more mm-hmm. with later special effects. Yeah. I liked those changes, and they were very faithful to what they had done before. And the look really isn't that different. No, I would I would keep that. That's true. You know, and so I would do a bit of a, of a hodgepodge. But the question comes down as to what do you keep and what do you not keep? 
Here's the two ways I would suggest it. If technology exists at some point where you can basically pick your own adventure, before you watch the movie, you're given a couple of selections. You can watch this version, this version, this version. I want to see this at this point. Okay, and your player remembers it. However, if that technology exists, or if it doesn't, you assemble the Jedi Council. You get people that are very involved in Star Wars from a filmmaking perspective. You get super fans. Maybe you do a contest on StarWars.com where you don't get some random garage guy. You get somebody that knows stuff. I feel like that'd be pretty cutthroat. It'd be pretty cutthroat, but you get them in there so that fans' voice is heard. Okay. And then you get neutral parties that, you know, they might like Star Wars, but they're not super fans, but maybe they're more involved in film. You get them together, and you bring up the points. You you pre-establish the points. Should Han shoot first? Should Greedo shoot first? Should it be the tie that it has kind of become? And you decide, what is it going to be? And so, okay, we're going to have it the original. Okay, that's how it's going to be. And then you have, you know, the next point of contention. Should the Ewoks blink? Should Darth be yelling No. Uh, should we be taking away some of the comedic elements that uh, they stuck in at the Moss Eisley spaceport? Should those things continue? Should they be gone? And then you decide, and then you assemble the show, kind of a, a little of this and a little of that. The one thing that might happen with that is that it might get parsed out too much. Like, you might nitpick every little thing within Star Wars, but if you have certain topics of interest that they all kind of point out, yeah. that could be an interesting panel of, yeah. of, de- of decision, but... I think that's a neat idea, though, and and really one that's pretty feasible, having three different versions released together that that go along those lines. I I think that's doable. I mean, you see that all the time these days with this cut and then the director's cut that goes along with it, too. Very possible on future releases of the original trilogy. Everybody gets what they want. They get a version if they want, and then the in-between... And I, if it's possible, I would love to see, for the, just dipping into the prequel real quick, we kind of touched base on it in an earlier episode, I'd love to see the Topher Grace version edit. Oh, Why yes. Why not? For the, the most recent trilogy, yes, please. Whoever has a copy of the Topher Grace trilogy. Hey, Topher. Uh, com- combination. Yeah. Topher's got it hidden away somewhere. I know it t- got taken off the internet, but which I'm it's probably really bummed that I missed out on somewhere, that. Yeah. yeah. Somewhere. I've got to find that thing, though, because I've heard incredible things about it, that it's actually very good. So yeah. come up with something, because what you kind of need is a Band-Aid, which is what The Force Awakens was. The damage done to the Star Wars brand leading up to this and re-changes and the prequel wasn't good, and now they're fiddling around with the original. Yeah. It hurt the Star Wars brand. So in a lot of ways, what The Force Awakens was, it got criticized for kind of treading over familiar ground. But really, it did what it needed to do. Star Wars needed a bit of a backstep before it could really jump forward, which is what it's going to do. It gave fans what they wanted to see, and people left that theater happy. I mean, you're, you're not going to please everybody, mm-hmm. but it did what it needed to do. So if you can repair the damage with that, why can't you repair the damage and go back and give people what they want, or at least as close to it as possible? Here's my first one. Let's hear it. As far as something that I would fix. I'm going to start out with a very small fix, then I'm going to go to something bigger, and then I'm going to go to something very big. I want to start in Fast and the Furious okay. is, is where I'm going to go with mine. And it's a it's a casting change. Okay. The casting change that I originally thought, and my original thought was I want to go into the Dark Knight and make sure that it was Katie Holmes who would play Rachel Dawes again and not Maggie Gyllenhaal. Because I wanted consistency there. But that's like that's like saying, I need a bigger cup holder in a Lamborghini. 
is kind of is kind of what that says. And I was like, you know, I don't Stop think that's much whining. of a really. It's not much of a useful change. I mean, Maggie Gyllenhaal worked great for that movie because she kind of added to the dark sad tone of it katie holmes was a little bit brighter i thought in in batman begins although to see her bright character kind of be shrouded into darkness then in in the second movie would have maybe been even more gripping that's enough doubt right but when i thought about that i was like i don't know that's maybe not that that's nitpicking i would have gotten katie holmes out of whatever movie she signed on to do at the same time as the dark knight but i can come up with something maybe a little more creative when i thought about maggie gyllenhaal my thoughts then drifted to Jake Gyllenhaal. And when I thought about Jake Gyllenhaal, I then thought about The Fast and the Furious. And here's why. I would have casted Jake Gyllenhaal instead of Lucas Black in Tokyo Drift. Because I think Tokyo Drift is a pretty good movie. Like, visually, it's a good movie. The drifting, the idea of having it all in Tokyo like that, it's something totally different for the Fast and the Furious movies. Plot-wise, they could have added to it a little bit more. And I know people are kind of on the fence sometimes when it comes to Tokyo Drift. There are some, like myself, my brothers, we really love it. We we love it. For my brothers, it's their favorite of the Fast and the Furious movies because visually it's really neat. The racing scenes are great. Plot-wise, it just feels thin. And part of what makes it seem kind of campy and thin is Lucas Black in the main char- as the main character of Sean Boswell. So I would replace him with Jake Gyllenhaal, who we, who we had seen in the middle of the 2000s do some teenage character type movies like um like uh, the day after tomorrow so why not put him into that same kind of role in the fast and the furious tokyo drift instead of a guy who was kind of putting on an accent a little bit and who didn't seem to really work too well within the context of tokyo drift i thought that that little change could make a movie that is kind of hit or miss for some into more hit worthy for more people plus i think it would have made it a better grossing movie as well. I've got uh, I've got a bit of a different opinion, not about the casting, but of just the franchise. I think the first one was okay. It wasn't anything great, you know. Fast and Furious franchise never grabbed me. It just didn't. Nothing wrong with it. Just didn't grab me. It seems more like a car commercial than anything else. That's it's, kind of what it's become. Yeah, these days. The, the latest Mitsubishi models. Well, now they don't even race anymore. They do these crazy stunt heist stuff. Well, yes. it's become something different, though. You have, like with most franchises, you get a first movie that's, you know, really good or it's okay. The sequel, eh, not as good. The third one, eh, not as good. And they just kind of peter out. But Fast and Furious has had a bit of a revitalization in the last couple of movies. So it's kind of restarted in a lot of ways, and it's been really, really good. Yes. Tokyo Drift was, in my, I know you say you like the movie. To me, it's the basement. It's just, it's, I didn't like it at all. It's just, it's, I don't think it matters who you put in there. You could get somebody off the street yeah. corner. There are elements that are not great about that movie, definitely. It visually is what I really liked about it. Yeah, it's a visual movie, but you know what? I can see where you're going for, and if you want to put in something that makes it more watchable for a movie that, other than the car sequences, is unwatchable, you know, get somebody with an acting job to help bridge the gaps between driving sequences. I think Jake Gyllenhaal would definitely be a good selection for that. He would definitely be better than anybody else they got. Even if they hired him for the female lead, he would do better. Because everybody on that screen for that movie, what have they done since? You're not a Bow Wow fan? No, not really. (laughs) I mean, again, that's what I'm saying here is that 
this movie, it does divide opinion. I mean, there are some who look at Tokyo Drift, like I said, like my brothers do, like I do to a lesser extent, and they say, there are some really cool elements about this movie or things that I really like. But then you look at other things like like Lucas Black as the main character, and you go, this is really disappointing. Or the plot, which is paper thin, and you go, this is disappointing and needs more depth. I felt that a guy like Jake Gyllenhaal, he could maybe add that kick to it. He would add a little bit more of that to it. And he had played younger typecast roles in that time frame. So, you'd almost why have not? To, you'd almost have to come up with, I think Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal is a fantastic actor, but the problem is you're not giving him anything to work with. Now, let's say you don't change the script at all. Not one word is hey, altered. I would want to. You trust know, me. I would, too. I would really, too. <laughs> I, that, I wanted to keep it to a casting decision uh, first. You'd so. almost have to get something bizarre. Yes. You'd almost need like a Nicolas Cage or somebody who's not oh af- who's not afraid to go off the deep end. He'll say every word of dialogue, but the way he'll do it, maybe he'll come up with an accent or a characterization or some you know weird twitchy nuance, something weird to really make something that's not watchable watchable. Just for the sheer, what is he doing? Plus, Nick Cage has done enough B movies in his career yeah. that hey, why not another one? He's so. down to the D movies at this point. All right, what's your second one? Well, let's see, I came up with a big list, but I came up with another one which would be kind of fun. There's a whole generation of actors and actresses that are they're phasing out. They're they're retiring slowly and surely, but they never really got a big send off. What was the last movie Jack Nicholson was in? He just kind of stopped making movies all of a sudden. Gene Hackman has basically said he's done moving, making movies. Last one he did was Welcome to Mooseport. Sean Connery, gone. He's still around. He's as healthy as an ox, but he's just he's done making movies. They've made offers for any of these guys to come back. So the likes of this generation that are starting to move out, um, and there will be others yet to come. Clint Eastwood, I mean, he's getting up there. At some point, he'll be done. What he's if he's more you, in the director's chair? He's more days. in the director's chair, but he'll still show up and do on-screen stuff, whether it's his movie or others' movies. Um, in fact, he's got some talk with Oscar buzz right now. But let's talk about. Doing like some sort of an assembly movie, an all-star cast, and let's get these guys together for one more ensemble movie and get them crackling together. Just It's a proper send-off for these guys. Even if they show up in a small cameo, let's make it a meaningful cameo. Kind of like, and I'm not trying to say it should be this kind of movie, but like The Expendables. Every action movie you ever heard of was pretty much there. Ocean's Eleven, you had a great cast with a great story, yep. all with little parts, some bigger than others. Well, wasn't there a movie here just in the in the past couple of years? It had Robert Redford in it. I forget who else was in there. But it was it was along those lines of it brought back together some some actors who have been some of the best of their time and brought them together for a movie where they're a bit older and it's it had a it had some comedic elements to it but there were also some other things to it as well that I can't remember what the title I of it is the new, one of the newest ones other than the one he's doing on Netflix with uh, Jane Fonda there was the one where he was on the boat uh, stranded I can't remember what movie that was I don't know if I heard that movie. It wasn't Lions for Lambs, was it? That was no something else. Not it. No. No. I would love to see. There's got. There's bound to be some kind of a story that's got a good ensemble cast, and you get these guys together for one final outing. And people that are still around, but you know they're not. I mean, how many more movies is Morgan Freeman going to make? He's like eighty years old. You know, I'm mean, at some point he's he's going to be done. But rather than just kind of gone. You know, it'd be nice to have one final glimpse of these guys together, and you could look back at it and say, you know what, this movie here, it was a decent movie. At the very least, make it a decent movie. It doesn't have to be an expert, you know, wow. 
but some it's more for the actors, more for the characters than the plot. But come up with a good plot where everyone's got something to do and get them in it. I mean, who wants to think of you know uh, Marlon Brando's final acting appearances? They weren't very good. Well, actually, his last role was pretty good in the score. But you had the island of Dr. Moreau before that. Come on, he could do better than that. Yeah. He could do better than uh, Welcome to Mooseport for Gene Hackman. Great actors that are still available. They're still retired or not retired. But could we get them back into the right roles together, crackling off one another? I think that'd be fun. So you're looking at it as a comedy type thing? Or, not necessarily. Or are, you, or are you thinking like even take a, a classic director who can find a way to make one of those classic drama films of like the 70s. What type of movie, in the case of what this is, is kind of irrelevant. It could be a comedy, it could be a caper, it could be an action movie with you know a lot of these guys that, you know, yeah, I used to be able to do this, oh, I'm too old for this, brought back into the service one more time, something, you know, anything. doesn't really matter what kind of movie as long as it's good, decent enough anyway, so watchable, but it's not so much for the plot as it is for the characterizations and the actors coming together. Getting them into characters getting that them into work character, for them. Yeah. It just, it's basically a send-off. You know that if Sean Connery's retired, Gene Hackman is retired, others are on their way out. It's a debate as to whether Jack Nicholson's retired or not. Um, that maybe it's time to see some of these guys. And that's what will get them back, is them being in a role and in a movie that they can really relate to and relate with. And all of this is fantasy. Guys like Gene Wilder, who just passed away not too long ago, there were people trying to bring him back into various roles, and he was just like, I, I can't do it. Ray Walston was a great character actor for a long time. That but, just... if, but if they view it as a good send-off movie, like this is my last chance to really play a kind of role that I can get into... It's a good way to send them out, and then they're happy, and then we're happy it's as a, well as viewers. It's a fantasy, and a lot of them are said, "Hey, I had a great it's career, a good and, I'm, one. and I'm done." Yeah. You know, but it would be nice to see rather than just, "Hey, it's been a long time since I've seen some." Oh, he's just retired, but is, is, is he dead? No, no, he's still around. He's just done. I haven't seen any of their stuff though. Yeah, yeah. you kind of miss some of these faces from the exactly. past. I'd love to see one more good proper send-off where you kind of know watching it that this yep. is it and not just for this guy but for this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy's not far behind and so forth i would love to see something like that i think that's a great idea yeah i'd, I'd love seeing that because yeah they do fade away and just kind of it's like well what happened to them where did they go i think that's a great way to be able to bridge that my second idea this is not exactly an earth-shattering idea because many people have talked about this, but I would want to see it be put into motion if I had had my way. The Hobbit should have been two movies. Two, I don't think there's... One movie. Two movies, I think, would have sufficed just fine. It did not have to be three. I know two was the original idea. That had been the plan originally by Peter Jackson was just two movies. Then it became three, and then it became a problem because I thought the first one was pretty good. I thought it got things off to a pretty good start. It was good to be back in Middle Earth again. A lot of those same themes that that had been used in in the original trilogy of The Lord of the Rings came up. It was a bit of a brighter movie as far as a brighter time in Middle Earth. The second movie I thought was was very good as well, even better. I thought it 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 built on things really well. It built up to them getting to the mountain extremely well. The cliffhanger was very frustrating, but you knew that there was a third movie on the way anyway, but then the third one was just a, a mess of epic proportions. The the CGI that was used in it, the some of the plot that just got kind of crammed in there, the way that it just it, it felt it felt just like extra and it, it was frustrating the way that it all played out. There were so many elements that that could have been cut out of the entire Hobbit trilogy that could have parsed it down 
to two films, and it would have been fine. They they could have cut this out and that out. Um, for for one instance, Evangeline Lilly's elf character, who did not exist in the original Hobbit story, could have been cut out. You take that away. Maybe you take away some of the external stuff that was outside of the books. Some of those things. Maybe you parse down Gandalf's role a little bit, but they they almost made it too big within within the story. Um, they could have parsed that down to be able to fit for two films. They could have taken out some of the the journey when they were going to the mountain. Different things like that could have been sliced down quite a bit to be able to help with it. And it would have made two robust movies rather than three movies that you raked in plenty at the box office. But I think people look back and it's kind of a disjointed end to the whole story of Middle Earth that we got from The Lord of the Rings and then from The Hobbit. So I would have... Definitely cut it down to two movies. I, I think it would have sufficed. You think one movie would have been okay, and they would have been able to do that. Well, I mean, The Hobbit is one book. They all, they all, all the Middle Earth came from books. You know, Lord of the Rings were three books made into three movies. And if you watch the director's edition, there's like they're four or five-hour movies, each one of them. I mean, watching all of them all the way through oh, is, yeah. like, is like 15 hours or something. So you could have taken elements out of The Hobbit then, and it still made one movie. Sure. You know, I mean, you could have made it a heck of a long movie, and made it two movies. Okay, sure. But the reason they made it three was marketing. Oh, well, we're going to make this into a trilogy. It was greed on the studio's level. You know, that shouldn't happen in the I first place. I mean, we got te- treated to a terrible CGI battle in the Battle of the Five Armies. And how does that happen? How do you go from one of the best examples of CGI and say, the Battle of Helm's Deep and uh, the Two Towers, and you get the same group of people, pretty much, all the same filmmakers, pretty much, same studio, same director, same everything, how do you go from those achievements in the Lord of the Rings trilogy to take such a huge backstep in The Hobbit? What happened? I haven't really heard much about, well, we were rushed. Ah, well, we have... What happened? You know, how did this happen? You know, I don't, I've not heard a good explanation as to that. It seems like in keeping with the lighter tone of those movies, or at least on the surface lighter tone, because there were, I mean, it was still serious in some respects, it seemed like the battle took on a lighter tone then as a result with the way that it came across visually. And I was like, you got to be kidding. This is this is just poor. And it's it's bad for for Lord of the Rings film, uh, Lord of the Rings fans who uh, this is this is just bad form for them who want to see this taken seri- a little bit more seriously with the way that you're putting this on the screen. Especially so. when you get the same group of filmmakers, Peter exactly. Jackson and a lot of the same cast and all of this stuff from the original, you know, Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah. Yeah. Eh. You know, I saw, and I'll admit, I saw, I saw bits and pieces of everything after the first Hobbit movie. Um, it, it just it, didn't appeal the same. The way. whole, yeah. the whole thing just—it shouldn't have happened the way it did. I mean, if you had such a huge hit runaway with the Lord of the Rings, and everyone wanted to do the Hobbit movies. Why did they drag their feet? Why didn't they make things happen faster? They waited. They waited so long. They waited to make too the long. Movies. Yeah. Were... Heck, the best part probably of the three movies was Ed Sheeran's "I See Fire" song. That was probably <laughs> it. <laughs> Everything about Although Benedict Cumberbatch did pretty well as Smout. There's great things about The Hobbit, absolutely. Yeah. But there's it's an example of how not to do it. Right. You know, The Lord of the Rings was so inspired. It was so perfectly done. They basically filmed it like one giant movie. And they kind of did the same thing with The Hobbit, but it just seemed like whatever, some of that lightning had escaped from the bottle, and it was just the way the studio got involved. No, we're going to turn three movies into three books into three movies. Makes sense. We're going to turn one book into three movies. That seems a little watered down, and it really came yes. across that way. It just, it was an example of how not to do it, or you better find a way to do it better next time. Two movies. That's all I would have needed. Two movies. 
get them to the mountain, and then finish it off from there. Yeah, or, or cut it up at a point where they're getting close to the mountain. And they, I think they would have been able to do it fine. Yeah. Three was too much. But, yeah. It yeah. W- you know, in between that, and not that this is really on your topic, but it kind of goes the same way, taking some of these, like the last Harry Potter movie, and doing the last book, part one, part two. It seems like it's a money grab for the same Become- reason. Very common these days. Well, you see that with, with the Hunger Games Mockingjay. It's yep. to bring in more money. It's a, it's another movie you can get from the same source. It's the same beast. You know, why not come up with a longer ending if you need that? You know, so if you're going to do an epic something something finale, do it. Come up with a three hour movie. You can put in the old intermission like they used to in the mm-hmm. movies where you have a 15 minute intermission for the kids to go and take a potty break or whatever. You know, make more on the concession stand. Fine, make your money that way. But it just seems a little parsed down where you can watch part one and part two and it's watered down where you can just hit me in the gut with it if you just get it over with. Tarantino still does that sometimes. I think he did that on some showings of The Hateful Eight where he had intermission. Yeah, he did. intermission in there. He so did. And they it's were, been done. But there were times where he like, Kill Bill, he was going to make one movie until he realized this is way too long. I need to cut this down. Yeah. But that was designed as one movie and literally just kind of cut down the middle with a big samurai sword. Since we're all about trilogies, what's your third idea? This one is an easy one. This one, I talked to my wife, and I said, you know, I'm going to do this uh, the show about this. What would you fix? And she, she gave me an idea over dinner, which I thought was a pretty good idea. Romantic comedies. Let's talk about that real Wow, quick. we're going to go into a genre. We're going to go into a genre. Romantic comedies. How often do you see a movie where it's the girl who's chasing the guy? Oh, I really want to land this guy, so i got to get the right look. Why can't that role be reversed more often? Doesn't hmm. the, doesn't the gal want to be the one that's you know being chased? That's from everything I ever learned about dating. The girl is to be pursued. So who pursues the gal? Why don't you have more? You know, there's one or two where you can think of where this has been the case. I can think of one off the top of my head. Notting Hill is kind of like that. Yeah, a that's little ki- bit. It's kind of like that. Maid of Honor is like that with Patrick Dempsey. He's chasing the gal that has been friends with forever. You know, but you don't see a lot of that. So if the gals like to be pursued in real life, why wouldn't they want to watch more movies where they're the object of desire rather than the guy being the object of the desire and the gal has to sell herself out to meet his desires, you know? So why doesn't it go the other way more often? How would you fix more of those? Because every one of those romantic comedies is a take off the same theme, pretty much. It doesn't rarely go the other way. Revitalize the genre a little bit. I think yeah, it would be be clever with it along those lines, and and get a get a story that you can get a, some very different ideas as far as what kind of heart and and idea that you put into the story. Plus, if you have if you have a compelling male character who would appeal to a pretty wide audience, I think that'd be a good place to start if you're wanting to try to draw people in to see it. But then you open up a wealth of possibility on flipping. The roles a little bit, just like you were saying there. I, I think that's another terrific idea. Yeah, that's pretty much all I have about it, but I think it'd be kind of neat to... And think about this. Can you think of five movies? We already mentioned two, Notting Hill and Maid of Honor. Can you think of three more that have the guy as the object of uh, pursuing rather than pursuit? It's always the cheerleader that's trying to land the high school quarterback or she got to get the right outfit, the right look, the right. she's got to transform in some way. It doesn't usually go well, the other way. There's one, there's another one that I can think of. Okay. Ten, Ten Things I Hate About You is another one that comes to mind from the yeah, 90s. Yeah. Uh, have you seen that one? I've seen that one. Yeah, but that's, that, a, that's a Shakespeare twist. It is. Yes, it is. Taming of the Shrew. Yeah. Um, it's, so that one that one's kind of along those lines. We're I mean, down jo- the right road. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's young character is kind of doing that. Plus, um, 
Heath Ledger is is sort of doing that. I mean, it's in his in a very indirect, weird, odd way. But um, there's a little bit of that in that movie. Speaking of Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, five hundred days of summer is kind of in that genre. He's after her. Okay. And she kind of that's another. It's, it's it's hard thinking of examples. Think of examples where it's the girl chasing after the guy. Oh, where's the where's the giant notebook we can fill up real quick with right. title after title. I think if we flip the genre around, because the romantic comedy market used to be dominant at the box office. Oh yeah, what is it now? It just it just isn't much. So much so that some of you that know that listen to Paul Bunyan broadcasting stations around Valentine's Day, we do the Sweetheart movie, and usually they're movies that are newish that come out in the last year or two. The last year, we were like, you know, there just weren't that many good ones. So let's dig into the the, the way back machine a little bit. Yeah, went back to Clueless. We yeah. went to Clueless. The year before that was the Princess Bride, and I think we'll go into the way back machine again this upcoming Valentine's Day and get a get a good one. You know, who knows what it'll be at this point? We're right. we're talking in late August, but but thinking like that can help revitalize the genre though, and come up with new ideas that have not been gone down the road of before. Mainly because you flip that roll around just like that. Yeah. It's clever. Yeah. yeah, it's clever. You know, it'd be kind of. I just, I just, you can't make an excuse, or not. Let me rephrase that. You can't complain unless you come up with a better idea. So here's a real quick pitch. All right. We all work in an office setting. You have to watch the video from Human Resources about sexual harassment. You can't pursue unwanted advancement, that kind of thing. So how about the tricky landscape you have to navigate? Let's say it's a completely straightforward, I really have genuine feelings for this girl rather than, oh, boy, she's really hot body. You know, it's a legitimate romance simmering here. And he's the boss, and he has a real big thing for his coworker that works beneath him. How do you pursue something like that? Because you have to navigate through these obstacles, maybe in comedic ways, but you can't make it, you know, of office role type. Yeah, it almost have to be a serious office place, kind of a serious drama. Dramedy maybe would be an idea where you're after her, you really, really want her, and she's just something special to be grabbed. And you know you're going to miss your chance because maybe there's somebody else on the peripheral that can make a stab at her, and this guy can't. And he knows they'd make the perfect couple, but he has to not just navigate her heart, and she's been hurt before, and all this stuff. But you got to navigate HR, human resources. You can't just go marching in as her boss. Mm-hmm. There's there's landmines there, big ones. Plus, whose perspective do you look at it from primarily? The girls or the guys? Maybe, you, could, you could go maybe one way or the other, and it'd be a totally different kind of movie. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, You could almost make the same movie twice from two different perspectives. You know what's funny? You were all pretty much describing The Office until you said the boss pursuing somebody else yeah. within The Office. So you, you were kind of going along those lines because Jim Halpert, yep. salesman, Pam Beasley, yeah. reception. He's pursuing her at least to start and at the beginning of it. So, um, but that's TV. So this yeah. is movies. So. It's all good. It's all fine. Yeah, it'd be it'd be a little different, but yeah, it just came to mind. So, but it, but yeah, I th- I think that's a, another very unique idea and something that could really help a genre that is kind of stagnant. It's kind of gone dormant, stagnant. Yeah. yeah, very much so over the past few years. Well, they've done every version of girl chase guy that right. you can come up with. You know, short of astronauts on the moon that can't kiss because of their face masks. That's yeah. basically the only thing they've never done. And they almost did that in Gravity with, you know, Sandra Bullock and George Clooney. Uh, it's another thing. That was some good thinking there. Kudos to your wife. Very good thinking. Thanks, baby doll. <laughs> All right, let's hit your last one. All right, my last one. 
This one, this one might create a little controversy because it's totally. Let's You're cut so out. non-controversial, who? Because it's <laughs> let's cut these movies out entirely and let's put a stopping point in this franchise. Ooh. And for me, that would be the Bourne movies should have ended after the Bourne Ultimatum. I completely agree. It should have ended right there. Completely. I don't. Agree. I don't think. Depending on how you look at it. Some may say that's not controversial at all. For others, it's like, what? You're going to deprive us of more Jason Bourne movies? Yes. And for the sake of saying the movies had a perfect stopping point, I thought that the way that they ended it with the Bourne Ultimatum was a perfect way to bring that entire series of movies to an end. Think about this. The Bourne movies redefined action movies. They really did. The way that they're filmed, the way that you add emotional depth to them, and the way that you put a story together around them, the Bourne movies put something entirely different as far as the stamp on the way that action movies are done. And and Matt Damon, it, it's one of his definitive roles um, with, with playing Jason Bourne. I thought it was at its perfect ending point. When I heard that they were going to make the Bourne legacy, I was extremely disappointed because I could see the direction that the movies now seem to be going of, all right, it's a franchise. We're making... More and more movies with no real stopping point. I mean, I know that the books are like that, that they've kind of continued on and on. I loved the way The Bourne Ultimatum was such a coming full circle kind of ending. Bourne has his identity. He's back in the water again. You know, he's swimming off to parts unknown. It just has an unknown feel to it at the end. Much the same way that there was the unknown feel of the way the movies began with The Bourne Identity. But it was a different unknown because he now knows all this stuff and now it's off into the unknown future. I think movies like that they they and these franchises, they have such a fear of the unknown and we've left all this, this, and this not answered. Who cares? Cut it off right there. You've got a story that is so well woven together. Why would you risk ruining that? But then they bring the Bourne legacy along, which is supposed to tie into it and has elements that tie in, but then tries to create its own story path. And and really, despite the best efforts of Jeremy Renner, who I, I think does pretty well in that movie, um, and they, they have a, a very good cast that they put together for it, it just did not have the same kind of clout, and it didn't have the same kind of pacing. And then Jason Bourne, it was good having Matt Damon back, but the whole time in the build-up to it, even when I saw that commercial during the Super Bowl that confirmed he was going to be back, and where they had the first little from uh, from Moby's Extreme Ways, I was like, this shouldn't be happening. This series should be over. This this should be done. Jason Bourne has, has reached his max as far as a story, and as far as there was a great stopping point, and now they're just carrying it on and on and doing all these other different things. And, and really, with the way that Jason Bourne ended, there's probably more that could be in the works here with, with those movies. So I was disappointed because I was like, it's going to become just another action movie franchise rather than it could have cut it off at the end of the Bourne Ultimatum, and it's we've got the best action movie trilogy in history right here. But now it's just dragging on and on. So I would have cut it off after the ult- the Bourne Ultimatum. I think you said the word that kicks it right there, trilogy. It was designed as a perfect trilogy. There's backstory and it all came together and it came to it tied off to a nice loop at the end. That's where you should leave it. There will never be a Back to the Future 4 for that reason. It's a perfect trilogy. So leave it at that. Um, but the whole Bourne identity idea, whether from the books or the movies, 
the whole backstory is that who am I? Where did I come from? How did I get here? Once you solve this riddle, that's it. It's done. You know, now you go from there. Now I've figured out who I am. So now I'm going to move forward with who I am now. No, that's not what the story was. James Bond works differently because they're bottle episodes, so to speak. Each one is pretty well self-contained. There's elements that might leak from one story to another. But um, for the most part, no. They are their own individual entries while the Bourne movies and books as well – while they do lead into other things, they're not designed to be all linked to one another. Well, let me rephrase that. They are designed to be linked to one another, but not forever and an eternity. You know, once you figure out what the underlying question is, who am I really? It's done. So we've been there. We've we've hit that answer. We're done. So we're done. Exactly. No need to move forward. And I'll give you another parallel. I don't want to risk getting this too deep. But look at Universal Movies. They wanted to do the monster dark universe. They were going to revive all the monster universes. So they had the Tom Cruise, the mummy movie come out. The whole idea was this is going to be the first of a whole new, what they're doing with the Marvel comic universe, but we're going to do it with the old Universal monsters, Dracula, Frankenstein. They're more concerned about tie-ins to what's going to come later versus let's make a good movie. And they were so concerned about what's going to come that they weren't concerned about what's happening now. And the mummy was a horrible movie. It was. It just wasn't good. They were so concerned about what was going to come later. How will this tie into something later? Who cares? If you don't care about the first step, why are you going to care about the rest? You know, depending on when you argue the Marvel Universe started with, you know, the Hulk or whatever it started, a lot of people consider Iron Man the first step, really, in the the Marvel Universe. Even though they've had two Hulk movies in advance of that, they weren't really that good. Iron Man kind of started it, and it was a good movie all by itself. So anywhere it was going to go from there, you wanted to see it. So when you've already done the best you're going to do with the Bourne identity and tied it off neatly at the end, why go forward to start a whole different story that really didn't have much to do with the original story? And they were trying to make it fit with the original story. They're as well. try- they were trying to keep that, that string going. They're trying to make a cash cow is what they're trying to do. Correct. You know, if you're not inspired to do it other than, hey, let's get some money – then you shouldn't do it. And I understand that films are a business, and this is a debate you can have till the cows come home. The idea is to make money. Yeah, but you can polish up some horrible thing and put it out there to try to make money, but really all it is is a horrible thing with a good polish on it. And I'm not saying that the Bourne follow-ups are, follow-ups are, are horrible movies. They're just not They're that not, good compared to the original three. You didn't need them. Yep. You know, they, just, they were out there simply to put Bourne on it, the same way you could put the Avengers on anything, Even if it has nothing to do with the Avengers. People are programmed to go after the Avengers. The Avengers of the Arabian Nights. Something weird. You know, people will, I just saw the Avengers. Oh, it must be an Avengers movie. They're going to go, no, it's not the Avengers movie. Just a way to get some money. You know, it was just stupid. And so once you're done, you're done. Find something else. Move forward. Look at it for what it was. And we're done. I know that people love the idea of seeing the same character on screen over and over again. So I know that's probably why for some... They might look at this and go, are you serious? Cut it off? Yes, for the sake of the story, cut it off. For I, the sake of it was great how it was, and it'll leave a lasting legacy beyond making a movie that has legacy in the name, yeah. cut it off. I love watching Captain Jack Sparrow, but you know, those movies have gotten A, bad, B, they've gone on way too long, and C, Johnny Depp's kind of having a falling out with the public relations department right now. Yeah. So I'm not all that keen of watching Captain Jack Sparrow. I got the first three on DVD, and I probably am on the verge of giving away parts two and three. The first one is it all leaves, you really need to it watch. It leaves a bad taste. You yeah. know, if you make bad movies and make a franchise then that just has no real 
real direction and cohesiveness, it leaves a bad taste. And I know people are looking at the the box office right now, and and the and these film producers and the studios are looking at at Rotten Tomatoes and saying it's all the reviewers' fault, it's all their fault. The reviewers are going, listen, you need to make better movies. You're not going to fool the movie public anymore with peddling out these movies that have no substance to them. Make better movies. And they will come. Well, look at, you know, we're probably exceeding our mandate here, but look at the Mission Impossible movies. And this is one where you and I have debated a little bit. You're a big MI fan. For the television show. For the TV show. And you've seen most of the movies? I've not seen any of the movies. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you had the first one come out. It was okay, but I didn't like it that much because it kind of changed the rules midway through, and I won't get too into it. Then there was the second one. It wasn't a mission. Plus, I hear that they ruined Jim Phelps' character in the first one. Yeah, they and did. he was a good guy in the TV show. So, yeah, never mind. You haven't seen it, so but you're right. Uh, we can go on a whole other debate about that. That makes me angry. But then, just like Fast and Furious, starting with Mission Impossible three. They basically reinvigorated the whole franchise, and it all changed, and it was much more like the TV show was supposed to be. It's not about um, who's got the most bullets. It's who can outsmart the bad guy. And if you do it right, they don't even hardly know you're there. That's the whole premise of it. So they've ever since Mission Impossible 3, they've really gotten good. But that's an example of it's open-ended. You know, they're bottle episodes. You can have Ethan Hunt or the team of, you know, Impossible Missing Force or whatever – from episode to episode to episode, because yep. that's the way it's designed. And it allows flexibility to create good stories. If yeah. you have those bottle episodes like that, just like James Bond, that's how Skyfall was able to be so successful. Casino Royale was so successful. Bottle episodes, they did string some elements of plot yep. along among those movies, as as you saw later on down the line, but you're able to do that. Whereas with something like the Bourne movies, there's a little bit more of a we've reached the end of the plot point kind of thing, and now it's we're just trying to claw it out and you see that with other franchises too but. do you know what we need on this table is one of those red bat phones somebody in hollywood's got an idea but they're really not sure we need to call rick and nick they pick up the phone and instead it's us and we know better anyway because rick and nick have yet to do one episode and we have a thought about this what do you guys think no that's a horrible idea or yes that's awesome or do it like this we could fix hollywood who we got this that might be the best idea we've put out in this if i could do this episode that we've done the that red might, bad phone that might be the best idea of them all so pretty good though i i like this idea of doing this topic we'll bring this up over and over again here a couple of times of if i could fix blank or if i could fix dot 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 we'll we'll bring this up a couple more times in the future uh if you've got ideas you know feel free to pass them along to, to dave brooks or myself um because we we love coming up with ideas and i'm sure you've got ideas too after listening to this episode but we're going to revisit this we'll do an, we'll do another fix it definitely because this was pretty fun doing doing this and i think this could be a good recurring one would you fix the podcast by having the actual host show up and do an episode for once Nah, uh, nah. Uh, I, I like doing this. They're more interested in the eclipse today, and I can't say I blame them. <laughs> but you know, there's always a reason. Oh, I can't today because I'm giving my eyes stone shut. You know, some dumb excuse every time. Yeah, I hope they're not trying to film the eclipse. I don't think that's going to go well for their pupils. Now that a filter. <laughs> Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theaters. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm what's his face. I still can't remember. You still can't remember. <laughs> it's the born identity. The Brooks identity. The Brooks. <laughs> Careful. Don't make a franchise out of it. <laughs> 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 While... <laughs>
while he's figuring that out, thank you for joining us today. <laughs> I'm Dave Brooks along with The Hoove. We'll see you at the movies.